You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We have breaking details of a tragedy in Penticton. Four people dead in what's believed to be a series of targeted shootings. The crime scene spans several locations. Let's go live to Global Shelby Tom, who's in Penticton with the very latest on this. And Shelby, the alleged gunman turned himself in to police. That's right, Sophie. A 60-year-old man has turned himself into police after an alleged shooting spree left four people dead in Penticton today. Hysterical family members arrive on the scene of a fatal shooting in downtown Penticton. One of four victims in a devastating shooting spree within a five-kilometer radius late Monday morning. I just heard really loud bangs that I thought were from the construction three doors down. Uh, deceased person lying under the tree. Police say the violence broke out near Heels Avenue and Lakeview Street at 10.30 a.m. Witnesses say a man pruning a bush was shot dead. Family members have identified him as Rudy Winters. The downtown core was put on lockdown. Residents asked to stay inside. A massive police response as officers tracked the alleged shooter. An hour later, the suspect turning himself into police. This black Volkswagen Jetta towed away from the RCMP detachment as the investigation unfolded, officers making further gruesome discoveries. Three more deceased victims found in the Cornwall area on the south end of town. Indications right now are that all four were targeted. The family of one of the victims told Global News they believe the shooting is related to a heated neighbor dispute that has not been confirmed by authorities. And we're still trying to find the motive for this whole incident. So that's part of the ongoing investigation. Residents shocked by the bloodshed. It's such a quiet neighborhood, I just don't understand what's going on around here. Police calling the level of violence deeply troubling. It is definitely unprecedented for, for this area. All right, Shelby, what more do we know about the victims? Police say they are still notifying next of kin, but they can confirm tonight that two men and two women tragically lost their lives here today. Police say they are still investigating a potential motive for these crimes. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Shelby Tom in Penticton for us. And we have some more breaking news, this time in the manhunt for a fugitive murder suspect. RCMP issuing a warning to delivery drivers about Brandon Teixeira. Jay Durant is in our newsroom with the details. And Jay, the warning went out specifically to drivers with Skip the Dishes. That's right, Chris. In both B.C. and Alberta, the company warning its drivers that Teixeira may be ordering food through their service. This is the letter that went out relaying information from the RCMP that Brandon Teixeira may be placing orders under another name. The areas included are the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley, and in Alberta, Calgary, Edmonton, Grand Prairie, and Grimshaw. Earlier this month, police offered a $55,000 reward leading to his arrest. Teixeira is charged with first-degree murder in the 2017 shooting of Nicholas Cabra in Surrey and remains at large. Skip the Dishes drivers are being told he may be armed and dangerous and are to report any information to IHIT or RCMP. Chris? Thanks for the update, Jay. Now to Salmon Arm, another community reeling tonight, trying to come to grips with a deadly shooting inside a church over the weekend. A 25-year-old is now facing a first-degree murder charge. Global's Jules Knox has more on what we're learning about the accused and the investigation. 25-year-old Matrix Savage Gathergood has been charged with the first-degree murder of Gord Parmenter. 
The 78-year-old victim gunned down during a morning church service in Salmon Arm on Sunday. It's a bloody shame. It's, it's, it's sad. It's shocking. And um, it's kind of shook us all up. Another man injured in the shooting was airlifted to hospital, and he is expected to survive his injuries, but Parmenter did not. Around one in the afternoon, a day after the shooting, his body was wheeled out of this place of prayer. For people who knew Parmenter, the grief is still raw. I'm still in shock. I, I can't believe that something like that would happen in our little town of Seminar. Parmenter was an elder at the Church of Christ. He's remembered for his volunteer work and for fostering several children over the years, like Cole Winteringham. It never felt like a foster home. It felt like a second home. Winteringham remembers his foster father for his small acts of kindness and his devotion to his faith. With God, it was refreshing because he was a man who actually lived according to what he believed. The family had just been through recent trauma. A month ago, Parmenter's home was destroyed by a suspicious blaze. When there's a fire, it's bad enough. But when there's a fire and it's set by your front door and all, four, all your eight tires are slashed, that kind of sends a message. And while police haven't confirmed a criminal connection between the shooting and the arson, the family isn't ruling it out. Gathergood was well known to Parmenter, and the victim's family says the alleged shooter struggles with mental health issues. In the meantime, as people in this tight-knit community struggle to come to terms with their grief, police continue to speak with witnesses to figure out exactly what happened and why. Jules Knox, Global News, Salmon Arm. Two people are recovering from serious injuries after a train hit a car in Surrey this morning. The vehicle was struck at a marked train crossing at 179th Street and the Golden Ears Connector. Early indications are that the vehicle was attempting to cross the tracks when it was hit by the freight train, but it's unclear if the crossing arms were down or not. Anyone with information or dash cam video is asked to call Surrey RCMP. An emergency meeting is being held at the park board tonight. A commissioner calling for Vancouver's 420 event to drop the free concert by hip-hop group Cypress Hill. Let's bring in our Tanya Beja, who's outside the park board offices tonight. And Tanya, the fear is the free concert will attract even more people and potentially cause even more damage to the park. That's right, Sophie. Park Board Commissioners are very worried that a free show by Cypress Hill will draw additional crowds and that it will put an even bigger strain on Sunset Beach. So uh, they are calling on organizers of 420 to cancel the performance by Cypress Hill. But organizers say that the hip-hop group songs are like an anthem for 420 and that the show will go on. Last year, about 40,000 people attended 420 here in Vancouver, and this year that number will likely grow by thousands, not only because of the free show, but also because 420 is celebrating a major anniversary, and it is the first year since legalization. So uh, park board members are worried that the crowds will be just too big and that Sunset Beach isn't equipped to deal with that. They're also calling on the mayor to intervene. And we are already having troubles in this neighbourhood, uh, controlling the smoke, controlling the traffic, controlling the congestion. So this is just going to make it all the worse. I really think it's time for Mayor Kennedy Stewart to show some leadership. You know, we had an election, we have a new mayor. 
I've, I've heard nothing from him other than uh, we're going to look at it next year. He's the mayor. And this last minute effort by the park board to grandstand, turn 420 into a political football is not going to work. Cypress Hill is going to be there regardless, and it's going to be a great day that we all really enjoy. John Cooper will present an emergency motion at the park board meeting tonight, and we will have any updates on News Hour Final. Sophie and Chris, back to you. Tanya Beja at the park board. Tanya, thank you. A Ugandan children's choir that had upwards of $15,000 in donations stolen from their vehicle this weekend say they're leaving Vancouver without hard feelings but hope someone will step forward to do the right thing. The Sawuti Choir is making its way back to Kamloops today to try and regroup. They had performed at the Woodward's Atrium in Vancouver on Saturday. After grabbing lunch, they returned to find their vehicle parked in the downtown east side had been broken into. Two laptops, an iPad, and a briefcase containing the donations were stolen. Since the theft was made public, an outpouring of support has come flooding in. Donations are being directed to the charity group sevenwells.ca. That money goes towards supporting the, uh, the schooling uh, of uh, children in Uganda and Rwanda. Um, they can either sponsor a child or any donations at all will go towards that work. Uh, it costs probably about $500 a year to support a child. So the, uh, the cash offering from, from uh, the previous night, the Friday night, would have looked after a child for 14 years or 14 children for a whole year. It also provides food for their families as well. The Pink Sapphire Society, the group that invited the choir into the downtown east side, is compelling anyone with information to please come forward to any of their volunteers. More concerns tonight about innocent drivers getting caught up in the changes to Canada's drunk driving legislation. Police now are able to demand a breath sample from any driver they lawfully stop. Kylie Stanton has another example of how it can be unfair, even if in this case the woman appealed and won. This is uh, the vehicle impoundment. Two tickets can carry some heavy consequences. Revoking of the uh, driver's license for 90 days. In this case, turning Gary Forsyth and his wife Inger's world upside down. She wasn't guilty of anything. Gary is speaking for his wife who is out of town. He says she was on her way to a doctor's appointment in February when she stopped into a liquor store nearby to make a purchase. Shortly after she left, she was surprised to be pulled over. She said, I don't think I'm speeding officer. He responded by saying, no, there's nothing wrong with your driving. I just saw you come out of the liquor store and I'd like you to blow on this. Forsyth, who was battling bronchitis at the time, tried 10 times to provide a sample, but couldn't. Under the new laws that came into effect last December, that qualifies as a fail, resulting in a criminal charge, massive fines and penalties, similar to an impaired driving conviction. I went online, it happened to somebody in Vancouver recently, somebody in Grand Forks, somebody in New Brunswick, so it's running right across the country. I thought, well, I haven't been drinking, so I had nothing to worry about. Norma McLeod recently went through it as well. She had oral cancer and suffers from COPD, a respiratory condition that makes it difficult to breathe. She appealed her tickets and lost. That has this lawyer calling for changes. The solution is to eliminate mandatory alcohol screening demands and go back to... Uh, reasonable suspicion. It's an exceptionally low standard as it is. BC Solicitor General says the review process for immediate roadside prohibitions has been in place for years and has withstood court challenges along the way. 
It's wrong. It needs to be reworded. And while the Forsyths won their case, there's no telling if or when it could happen again. Everybody would like to see drunk driving off the road, but not at the expense of some of our rights. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Parisians and tourists cry out as the spire collapses at France's famed Notre Dame Cathedral. Thousands watch and weep as French firefighters struggle to contain the massive fire. Much of the nearly 900-year-old monument to Christianity is destroyed. Shock and disbelief in Paris and around the world tonight as part of one of the world's greatest churches is reduced to smoking rubble. The blaze not only severely damaging the cathedral, but endangering the priceless artifacts inside. Flames engulf the historic Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, toppling the iconic spire and burning the entire wooden frame of the Gothic structure. Crowds watched in stillness as more than 800 years of history burned before their eyes and gasped as pieces of the cathedral continued to fall. A reporter for CBS station KYW is staying at a nearby hotel. We turned the corner and saw smoke coming not from the bell tower, but from the back of the Notre Dame, and then everyone's hearts just dropped. Victoria Wooddill said firefighters struggled against the wind. You'll notice the spray right here. It's just spraying off, so it's barely even touching the edge of the building. Crews say they used every means at their disposal to fight the fire, except for water drops from an aircraft, fearing that may have caused the whole structure to collapse. Paris's mayor says firefighters are optimistic they'll save the towers and the belfry. Crews already recovered priceless art and holy objects from inside. French President Macron visited the 856-year-old structure that had been undergoing a massive renovation. He's calling it a national emergency and expressed sympathy for Catholics around the world who are preparing to celebrate Easter. As night fell, Parisians and tourists gathered in the streets around the cathedral to sing hymns. Hillary Lane, CBS News. A Langley couple in Paris right now among the last people to see the church right before the fire. Ken Sheldon tells Global News he and his wife were on a boat cruise shortly after touring the cathedral. And as the boat passed by Notre Dame, they noticed smoke coming from the roof. It's sort of eerie, actually, because um, literally we were there at noon and uh, it was there was a lot of people. Um, I'm actually glad everybody got out. I don't believe there was any injuries. Um, and just to see how quickly it went up, um, literally when we saw it start to when we saw it really engulfed, probably 10 minutes. I don't think there was anything that anybody could do. It's, it's pretty sad. Um, as you can tell, we're, <clears throat> we're both sort of emotional about it. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, walking through there. Um, it's, it's quite a place, quite a place, I have to say. Well, there is some good news tonight as firefighters continue to soak the cathedral. The fire chief says the structure of the church has been saved and French President Emmanuel Macron is promising to rebuild. 
Tonight on Consumer Matters, we tackle yet another angle to the legalization of cannabis that many people never consider. Specifically, the very strict regulations for sending pot by mail. And Drua joins us with the details. And Yeah, very strict. A bit of a procedure here. Thanks mm-hmm. to you, too. Yeah. Imagine. yeah. <laughs> Now that cannabis is legal in Canada, consumers may want to send certain strains to their friends across the country. While you are allowed to put pot in the mail, you have to follow the rules or your cannabis gifts could be confiscated. We went to Vancouver's first licensed legal pot store for some advice on shipping. Don't write cannabis on the on the packaging <laughs> and make sure it's under 30 grams. That's the law. You're only allowed to have 30 grams at a time. You can only send 30 grams at a time. So Canadians can share a maximum of 30 grams of dried recreational cannabis with other adults. It must be sent in odor-proof, tamper-proof, leak-proof, and anonymous packaging. Pot should be sealed in inner packaging like this tamper-proof plastic container with a government-approved seal and then place in unmarked outer packaging. Mike Babbins recommends a double-sealed odor-proof bag followed by scent-blocking bubble mailer, which can be purchased at Canada Post retail outlets. But he says consumers could also let BC cannabis stores online do the work for them. Probably the smartest, safest, easiest way to do it is order it from your local government website and put in your friend's delivery address and send to them that, that way. That's how I would recommend doing it. Truly, just order it, put in their delivery address like you would from Amazon, have it shipped to them, you know it's done right. And a reminder that most Ziploc or zipper bags are not odor resistant. Canada Post will stop delivery and destroy any parcels that smell of cannabis or contain cannabis imagery. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email information at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thanks very much. And yet more proof cannabis is going mainstream. An Ontario businessman just bought an 18-hole golf course he promises will be cannabis-friendly. It's in the shadow of one of the largest producers of legal cannabis in Canada, and some locals can't wait to play high at Rolling Greens. A canvas-friendly golf course calling itself Rolling Greens won't be opening up on April 20th or 420 as it hoped because of bad weather. I spoke to the current owners of the Lombard Glen Golf Course, Gene and Dave Sherman, who have agreed to sell their business to Gord Whiskey, a Toronto-area businessman eager to take advantage of the growing cannabis culture in and around Smith Falls, anchored by Canopy Growth's cannabis operations. According to Whiskey, the deal would have been signed already, but they had to find a new insurance provider. They now hope to finalize the deal this week and open as soon as the weather allows Rolling Greens to get a little greener. The prospect of an 18-hole course off of Highway 15, where smoking pot between holes is allowed, has many locals excited. My husband likes golfing, and like I said, he works at Tweed, so I mean, we're fans of the cannabis industry, so it's an interesting thing to go see. I'm a toker. I'm a midnight joker. (laughs) I could be, (laughs) with the right coach. And Whiskey tells Global News he hopes if the weather turns around to hold the grand opening in the next few weeks. Craig Krause, Global News, Smith Falls. All right, a cutting-edge waste treatment center opened today in Delta. The Micron Waste Innovation Center will commercialize a system that breaks down food waste without producing methane. It allows companies to treat organic waste on-site and convert it into clean water and reusable biosolids. This is like a human body. You eat the food with grinding, you digest the food in stomach, and it goes to the intestine, and finally it gets filtered off 
in a solid and liquid. The company says its system can keep up to 95% of food and cannabis waste out of the landfills. Security video captures the moment the roof blew off a business in Pennsylvania during overnight storms. Just as the winds start to rip a tree out of the ground, the roof comes off the warehouse building. Luckily, no one was hurt in the incident. And a tragically different story across the southern U.S. after a deadly system of storms tore through several states. It left in its track widespread destruction and at least eight dead. It's hitting Shelby right now. Overnight, the deadly storm system marched east, this twister ripping through Shelby, Ohio. <gasps> oh, my God. High winds downing trees and power lines across the state. This after heavy rain, hail, and flooding pounded the south. That's a tornado. That's yep. it. Back-to-back tornadoes sliced through tiny Alto, Texas. I've been here all my life, and it's hard. One of them, an EF3 twister, packing winds of 140 miles an hour. We got a water leak over here. Cecil Morgan and his family huddled in his home, praying as the roof ripped off. The second twister destroying what was left. Residents now trying to salvage what they can. In nearby Angelina County, even more heartbreak. Two young brothers, three-year-old Jace and eight-year-old Dylan Creo, were killed when a tree smashed their family's car. The small town of Franklin, Texas, also took a direct hit. More than 50 homes destroyed. Just gone. Everything's gone. In Louisiana, torrential rain brought dangerous flooding. 13-year-old Sebastian Omar Martinez drowned in a drainage canal. Severe weather also swept across Mississippi, killing a 95-year-old man and injuring about a dozen others. Mississippi is under a state of emergency. Today's schools here are closed as a massive cleanup effort gets underway. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Alto, Texas. The controversy over the province's Caribou Recovery Plan prompting a special meeting today. The Premier deciding to extend the consultation period and has appointed a special liaison to figure out the best solution moving forward. Keith Baldry has more on what's at stake. Less than a week after a delegation of Peace River residents brought their concerns to the Premier about the NDP government's plan to save the mountain caribou, then the Premier returned the favour today, visiting Dawson Creek to meet with local officials. That's bringing the community back together in unison, focused on the economic well-being of everybody in the region. Ottawa has ordered the B.C. government to devise a plan to protect the mountain caribou from predators such as wolves. A preliminary version of the plan would greatly reduce forestry operations in the region, leading to the reduction of 500 jobs. By the government's own estimates, uh, we've been hearing the job losses in around the 500 range. Uh, near as I can figure it, that's probably pushing half, half of the jobs in my community will be gone. Today, the Premier acknowledged his government has dropped the ball on the issue, saying it hasn't listened enough to local concerns. What I've discovered over the past uh, six weeks is that there's a significant amount of misinformation or a lack of understanding of how we got here within the broader public, and that's absolutely understandable. And to help fix that problem, Horgan is turning to a former Dawson Creek mayor and B.C. Liberal cabinet minister to act as his liaison to the communities. We're all in this together. Uh, we all want to try and ensure we can look after the caribou at the same time maintaining the quality of life we have here for the people looking after the families and their jobs. The Premier has also extended the consultation period until the end of May. Eventually, a plan will have to be adopted, but whether there are changes to the current preliminary one remains unclear. 
Keith Baldry, Global News. A travel nightmare for an Ontario family serves as a lesson for anyone traveling with a pet. Yeah, they say they were denied boarding, denied boarding on their flight because of a questionable call by a ticket agent. I've traveled with my dog before. He's eight and a half pounds. Sit, paw. His name is Whiskey, a fully grown eight and a half pound Shih Tzu. Owner Christina took Whiskey with her family to Quebec City on a short trip earlier this month. Getting there with one airline was no problem. Whiskey travels in this specially designed carrier endorsed by many airlines. But on their return flight home on Air Canada Sunday night, Whiskey was denied boarding along with Christina and her husband. The agent said the dog was too big. He just said it was inhumane because he couldn't turn around. We watched Whiskey turn around in the container. Much of his physical size is his fur. Remember, according to the airline's tariff, the dog was well within the allowed weight. He's eight and a half pounds and the maximum is 22 pounds, including the carrier. But Air Canada told us we were unable to allow the customer to travel with her dog in the cabin because the dog was too large for the carrier. They are entitled to set requirements for carriage of pets. But once those requirements are in place, they must honor them. I don't think there's any reason I should have been denied. Air Canada even called security officers to the gate. They acknowledged Christina and her family didn't cause a disturbance. The couple then had to rent a car and drive more than eight hours home to Toronto at additional expense. And they should be suing Air Canada for compensation. That's a no-brainer. Money aside, Christina says the denial has her worried about flying with whiskey in the future. I am like afraid now. I don't know if I would fly again. I, I would probably maybe think twice about it. But there should be one uniform policy that everyone, you know, this is the policy. This is how big the dog needs to be. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. Well, in health matters tonight, another amazing medical breakthrough using 3D printing. Researchers at Tel Aviv University say they have created the first 3D printed heart complete with blood vessels. It's only about the size of a walnut, but it took three hours to print. The researchers believe a key element of the work was the materials used. We printed materials and cells from the human itself and created such a complex geometry of the heart. In the first, all the hearts that uh, were printed on, until now, as far as we know, are uh, made from uh, more uh, synthetic materials. The head of the research team says larger human-sized hearts could be made using the same technology. Now, while these printed hearts can contract, they still need to learn how to, quote, behave like hearts. Rogers Arena will soon be testing new high-tech security scanners. The next generation technology will use advanced radar and 3D imaging to screen patrons. They're calling it Hexwave, and it can spot weapons or other potential threats. Now, Aaron MacArthur has more on how it works and the added benefit in addition to safety. It is uncomfortable. It slows down fans. But invasive security at sports arenas all part of our new normal. Next year at Rogers Arena, alongside the metal detectors, there might be something new. New technology called Hexwave that can identify threats without having to pat people down. It's real-time active imaging. So this enables you to pass through a, a checkpoint without having to stop. It's technology that seems like it's straight out of a science fiction movie. Not much is known about when Hexwave will be installed. 
Canucks fans will be the first in pro sports to test it out. The Canucks issuing a statement saying the team is looking forward to testing the new technology to help keep fans safe. The expectation is yes, it will actually improve the efficiency of getting people into the facility, uh, but also provide that same level of confidence that, that the screening is occurring to keep weapons out. There are some concerns about using 3D technology like this. The BC Civil Liberties Association wants to know who will see the images and why this tech is being tested in the first place. According to the company, which Francesco Aquilini advises, the images will be analyzed using artificial intelligence and will never be seen by human eyes. While it does look, uh, do scanning of a person, there's no image that's analyzed by a human. You don't have a person evaluating that image and making a, a determination whether or not it's a threat. The artificial intelligence does that. It isn't clear where the technology will be installed or even when it might be operational. Don't expect to go to the game next season without passing through a metal detector. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. On the topic of change, after the forecast, how driving down the crookedest street in the world could soon cost you. Slow-moving no traffic. No kidding. There. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with a look at our forecast. Boy, those poor sun runners who were... Stock out around 10.30 yesterday morning, Christy. Yes, you know, they're a hearty bunch. Sunrunners have had to endure everything from coal to pouring down rain. But this is the first that I've heard of uh, incredible downpour of hail where some people reported about an inch of hail after it was all said and done. A very isolated cell and unfortunately it was right over the sunrunners runners for a good period of time thanks to bog freezing for that. Today, a whole bunch different is what I call a, a Simpson cloud day. The picture perfect little clouds out there and Alexandra uh, captured that for me. We did see some high level cloud towards the end of the day but still a sensational day. Highs of 14 15 degrees inland near the water about 11 degrees. We're in for another change everyone. So the north coast will get hit first. Tomorrow morning expect periods of rain. Mostly dry as you can see across the south coast. Uh, fingers crossed that we'll see some sunshine but quickly we'll see increasing cloud. Tomorrow afternoon is not a soaker but we certainly do have a chance of showers. Uh, the system is much weaker as it makes its way into our area and that chance of showers continues into our Wednesday morning as well with mainly cloudy skies. And looking forward to your long weekend, starting off Good Friday with a very wet and windy day likely, but we'll salvage two days it looks like, Saturday and Sunday, uh, because on Monday it looks like we're back to showers. So just a peek into your long weekend, keep in mind this is days away and it has a uh, potential of changing, so tune back in. There's the rain for the north coast. Inland regions, though, a Another nice day with sunshine, just a little bit of cloud in the afternoon with a slight chance of an isolated shower. These areas, though, good 60% chance of showers. And we will see that chance of showers into our Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, both looking wet. But there you go for your weekend, the Saturday and Sunday looking nice. A couple of great shots from the Chilliwack Tulip Festival for you. This one, pinks and whites, and this one, nice bright red. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. All right, it's not often a city considers a plan to reduce the popularity of a tourist attraction, but San Francisco finds itself with an unusual dilemma. The problem is with this famous section of Lombard Street, dubbed the crookedest street in the world. In the summer, as many as 6,000 people visit the street every day, creating a line of cars that stretches for blocks. City and state officials have introduced a bill that would establish a fee of $10 American to drive the street. 
and drivers would have to reserve ahead of time. <laughs> really? It Why doesn't seem like much there? of a deterrent. I don't know, 10 bucks? I mean, maybe, but... Just go for a walk. Just go for a walk. Get a better look exactly. at it. <laughs> like that old Volkswagen van. That was truly kicking it old school. Yeah. Try Three. riding a bike down it. Or Have you done it. that? Not there, no. Okay. <laughs> With too much traffic. I know, it's, it's dangerous. And, you know, you may not have your Cost 10 bucks, bucks on you. I know, 10 exactly. bucks to ride a bike. A win for the ages. Wow. We've said that about Tiger Woods before, but really didn't it was. didn't think we'd be saying it again. Yeah. No, well, he did win last year at the Tour Championship, which is not a major. And then that, maybe that was a sign that he is creeping up again. Mm-hmm. Okay, there were actually, I think, 3,955 days between Tiger Woods's 14th major win, the U.S. Open of 2008, and his 15th major win, yesterday's Masters. During the 11 years in between, he had serious personal and physical issues. He became the butt of people's jokes, the object of people's pity, and the hero of people's past. And that's why yesterday's Master win was so huge. He turned back the clock to a time when he was Master of the Golfing Universe, and he is again. And for the younger stars of the game who idolized Tiger when they were kids, they didn't, get, they didn't mind getting beaten by him because they became a part of history. But here it is. The return to glory. It's awesome. I'm glad he's back. It's, um, it's probably one of the coolest things to be a part of it. Even though, you know, you finished second place, you know, you're a little bummed out. But it's, um, I, I wouldn't want it any other way. It was a throwback seeing him in red in, in the mock trail neck. Uh, it's what I saw as a kid, and it was just really cool to, to know him a little bit now and, and congratulate him coming off 18. Um, you know, you want to play against the best to ever play. Um, you want to go toe-to-toe with them, and, um, you know, I can I can leave saying <laughs> gave it my all, and um, he's just good, man. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> Okay, I want to put a warning out before I show this. The fight in this upcoming highlight pack could be a bit disturbing for some. Alex Ovechkin is pretty much exclusively known for using his hands to score goals. He has only had, I think, four fights in his NHL career, not since 2010. But tonight, he had number five against another Russian, a 19-year-old, Andrei Svechnikov, who is an up-and-coming scorer. But Svechnikov picked the wrong fellow Russian to fight. They're pushing, they're shoving. You want to go? I want to go. All right, let's go. And it was over right there. Alex Ovechkin catches him flush, and Svechnikov is out of the game. The only good news for Svechnikov, his teammates are knocking the caps out on the scoreboard. Warren Fogel, I wonder if his nickname is McLovin. Fogel scores. 4-0 in the third period for Carolina. It's got to be. Uh, you can be the best trainer in the world, but if you don't have a fast horse, it's hard to win a race. The Whitecaps feel they have the right coach in Mark DeSantos. They like the system he's installing, but no wins after six games makes you wonder if he doesn't have all the right horses he needs for the job. I think it comes off his chest. I don't think it comes off the right arm. Not the first time the Whitecaps have had their troubles with video review this season. Bohemian right here. So this is handball? 
it's crazy, but it's true. You know, the ball kind of maybe hit here. It's close. I, for me, it's harsh. Um, but I want to talk about the game, you know, not only about that moment. Um, so let's talk about the game. Controversial late penalty call aside, Mark Dos Santos freely admitting Vancouver's 1-1 draw in Chicago, the Whitecaps' worst effort of the season. Six games in, the Caps remained winless with a similar refrain to each match. Too few balls finding the back of the net and once again, too many missed opportunities. You don't think we're, we're, we're thinking about it and, you know, we, uh, we have to address it in the connection of everything. First, we address... Okay, when we get in the opponent's half, do we have enough support? Do, do we create enough? Are there enough balls going in the box? Are we aggressive in our runs? We look at all of that. Thing is, even if the Caps manage to have all that going in their favor, do they have the personnel up front to finish? The White Caps have scored the fewest amount of goals in the Western Conference and rarely come out ahead when it comes to possession time. Two key stats they'd likely improve on if they opened up the purse strings and paid for a proven striker and central midfielder. I could guarantee you that we're always evaluating how to better our roster. And, and of course, that this is a sector where we feel, man, we need to become better. What needs to happen is that uh, it happens with a consistency. Uh, and that's what we don't have at the moment. We have a lot of flashes and not, not any, nothing consistent. Uh, and if we get consistent, it's going to change a lot of things. Boston Marathon, women's winner, Worknesh Dagifa of Ethiopia, won by 42 seconds. The men's race, a lot closer. How often do you see this at the end of a marathon? Two guys sprinting for the finish side by side. Lawrence Chirono of Kenya won. Lalisa Decisa of Ethiopia finished second, two seconds back. He's actually won this twice before, but Chirona just pulls it out at the end. At the end of that, do you really want to keep sprinting? No, no you just want a nice leisurely run to the tape, not like, oh, what's going on here? Every second that. counts. I know. That's true. Amazing how strong they look at the finish, though. Yeah. Amazing. Two hours. Crazy. All right. Coming up on ET Canada, it's our roundup of the Coachella Festival. Plus, Paul Rudd previews Avengers Endgame and the Cranberries preview their final album. And remember their friend, Dolores O'Riordan. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Kristen Sophie. All right. Thank you, Carlos. For the record, I might be old enough to remember when you couldn't buy IKEA bags. You had to steal them if you wanted them. <laughs> what but, are they, like 99 cents now? They're like 99 cents now, so it's fine. So that's where that line came from. But anyway, it brings us to this remarkable story. Two climbers scaling a cliff face near Castlegar find a dog that's been missing for three weeks, stranded on a ledge and near death. For the first time tonight, we are hearing from both the dog's owner and one of the people who came to the rescue. Jennifer Palma has the story. Stellar is happy to be home. Her owner, Jeremy Umferville, is relieved she's safe. Stellar went missing for three weeks. Umferville had given up hope she'd be found alive. Kind of thought she was gone. She didn't think we were getting her back. Stellar, a 10-year-old pointer cross, had gone for a hike with Umferville's wife, Marissa Malahura, in the Castlegar area March 10th, when Stellar took off chasing a mountain goat. And somehow either fell off a ledge or crawled sideways across the, the overlook here and got herself stuck. 
Jared Smith loves dogs. This one is his. So when he had a friend when climbing the brilliant bluffs in Castlegar last week and came across an emaciated and not very responsive stellar, they knew they had to save her. And I'm like, oh, there's a dog stuck on the cliff. So we ended up trying to organize a rescue plan. I had a bit of a cliff bar in my bag, so I gave it a few bites just to kind of show that I was friendly, gave it a few pets, but it had no energy at all. It barely even acknowledged that I was there. But Smith was scared she might fall if he carried her to safety. That's when the IKEA bag became a lifesaver. So we ended up getting the dog in the big blue tote IKEA bag, and I tied a knot in the rope a little above me, and then clip the dog into the rope and then we kind of just started inching our way up the mountain. Smith found a phone number on Stellar's collar and called. Balahura answered it and was nearby. She'd been searching for Stellar's remains. The dog could hear her crying and could see her. Instantly found all this energy, bounced out of the bag and just ran right to her. Yeah, we got lucky. Got her back. Stellar has now put some weight back on, thrilled to be with her people. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Good. That's Stellar. It really Stellar, is. Yeah. Do you guys have IKEA bags at home? No. Don't, no. surprisingly. I use, I use one to transport all of Will's Did balls and bags. I'm pretty sure we paid for it. How much? <laughs> like, pretty sure we did. Check with Jane. We'll check with you. Yeah. Right now, she's cursing me at home. Be home soon, honey. <laughs> Good night, all. Good night, Jane.